1: My name is Brett Schaefer, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ryan Henderson. This is the Investing Power Hour, number 45. These live streams go out every 12.30 p.m. Eastern time on Thursdays on YouTube. You can also catch the replays on YouTube. And for the majority of you, you can catch the replays on Sunday mornings on your favorite podcast player of choice. We do not care how you tune in as long as you tune in and enjoy these episodes. Ryan. It's an exciting week we're talking there's a lot it's been busy in the investing world this week so we had plenty of stuff to talk about we're gonna hit of course the mic nonsense yeah maybe maybe a lot of
0: hoopla and nonsense
1: all right well let's save the takes but we got microsoft chat gtp affirm layoffs uh i'm gonna talk nintendo earnings and kind of the context of you know long term thesis versus short term worries and then i also have loaded up the uber report which earnings report uh, i should say which is always fun but before we get into it today's episode is presented by stratosphere.io our investing home screen for fundamental research i can tell you that as ryan loads up the share screen right now we this is the first thing i look at Every morning, when I'm going to update my, or not update, check in on my investing portfolio. And it's great because it has its full dashboard, it has charting tools, it has everything. It has a nifty newsfeed, SEC file aggregation, which is vital when we're researching companies. Everyone knows how unorganized some of the investor relations pages can be, how unorganized Edgar can be. And it also has a fundamental charting tool. To help you easily compare companies so you don't have to aggregate the data yourself you can take this data that stratosphere has already compiled for you make your visualizations track what your key kpis over time and there's plenty of more that stratosphere has to offer they just launched this and they're getting better every every day Um, and you can try it for free by going to stratosphere.io if you're using one of the legacy home screens for your investing research whether that be yahoo Finance. Some of the others, you need to transition to stratosphere.io. And if you're a professional and want to use their professional plan, use promo code CCM for 15% off any paid plan. We're going to be using stratosphere throughout this episode. And yeah, tell them that we sent you over there. All right, Ryan, let's get into it. Before we do, though, make sure if you're listening, you enjoy these episodes, give us a review on Spotify or Apple. And to keep updated with the show. The best way to do that is to subscribe to the newsletter. Okay, Ryan, let's try to get into things as quickly as possible. Why don't you talk about what the thing that it seems like no one, everyone cannot stop talking about and is Microsoft versus Google. And I will tweet out the link to the show. Yeah, and
0: as we're speaking, I, I just shared that Stratosphere dashboard. Google is down another 6% today, I think. So it's not just like a bunch of hubbub uh the market's kind of reacting to it as well um i want to let's see they're down well off 10% from their since this news dropped um basically microsoft put out this press release saying that they have reinvented bing uh coincidentally this is kind of interesting because we just did our google episode if you want to learn more about it we're actually google shareholders so i'll just disclose that right now i might sound biased um but basically they they, they mentioned that they're rein, reinventing bing um and they're combining it with open ai or i think the parent company of chat gpt which they have like a 50% ownership in um and basically it's going to have sort of chat GPT functionality alongside the Bing search experience. Um, It says, we have brought together search, browsing, and chat into one unified experience. You can invoke from anywhere on the web delivering um, like, more comprehensive answers alongside the actual search results. So there's a bunch of examples that you can go see if you go look it up, like type in, you know, sports games or whatever, it'll give you something. Uh, it'll give like a chat GPT answer on the side. Um, and then a bunch of like typical search results. But to be honest, it's th- this is what Google
1: already does. Yeah, hey, not, let's not uh let's not lead yourself into the question. Let's try to play a little devil's advocate why Microsoft can win. does does this uh look, we're we're no AI experts, but do these things provide more value to a search engine? I think that's the core question people should ask. And then the next one is if it does it add to the search queries? So okay, so does it like add new search queries that people will make or is it going to steal market share from the existing search queries, which would potentially impact Google's bottom line um, as they they might serve ads on less of them. There's also other questions that you go down many different scenarios about, will they actually start serving ads within these queries uh, again? But Ryan, Ryan, what do you think? Does this enhance the value of search? I say yes. I think it's pretty clear it does, although I don't know if it's as revolutionary as people say.
0: Yeah, I don't know if I want to go as like... (sighs) I don't want to omit like risks. Like, I don't want to say like, oh, this is, you know, who cares? Just keep buying Google. Uh It just to me kind of feels like this is partly integrated in the existing search experience for Google. I think it does enhance the value to have like the option to have like a full-blown, more comprehensive answer to something that feels like you're speaking to a person. Uh I don't know if that's... Now, I'm not saying that that's going to drive everyone to Bing. Uh, Bing has been growing share on PC for a while, um, for at least in the recent years. However, what I would be more concerned about, and I want to, gosh, I can't find it, but basically there was this, oh, here we go. There was a quote from Satya Nadella that essentially said they don't care if they lose a bunch of money doing this, they're going to go after. Um, they're gonna go after the search market, but I'm trying to find it. <sighs> no, no, know? that
1: that's exact. Yeah, it was it was thrown around on Twitter and the and the news. Oh, sites got it a lot. Yeah, I mean that's he exactly says, what he said, right? Yeah, he, he says, says
0: from now on the gross margin of search is going to drop forever. There is margin in search, which for us is incremental. For Google, it's not. They have to defend it at all. Um, my concern really. Beyond, like, I think they will probably gain some share over time in PC because they have the infrastructure. They, they have, they own the, they own the hardware. They own the operating system uh, of uh, a lot of, uh, basically, a bunch of new piece that PCs that are sold with their Windows OS. Um, so it's easy for them to kind of play as you know the default.
1: Which is which is funny. They got in trouble with that in the past with Netscape. So I wonder is anti-competitive. But all all, what's funny is I'll I'll let you keep going. But all the companies within the sphere—Apple, Alphabet, Microsoft—could all threaten each other with anti-competitive stuff. But then I think that would bring up the anti-competitive stuff that they're doing. So everyone's being anti-competitive, but so they don't want to they don't want to accuse anyone of everything of anything. But continue.
0: Yeah, my concern is that. Microsoft bids a ridiculous amount f- to power the Apple Safari search because yeah. Google really does own the mobile search. They have more than 90% share there, basically because they predominantly because they have Android. So they're the default search on Android, which has most of the uh, mobile phones and mobile smartphones in the world. Um, but they also power Safari on on
1: the iPhone. So or they're um they're the the default. I mean, people can go search bang, it's not blocked, but they're the default yeah. search, search engine.
0: But they pay fifth, I think it's what, 15 billion dollars for that. They, it's
1: estimated rumors. could be could be 20. Yeah. I think with the the renegotiation whenever that is, we don't have the info, it probably will be 20 billion dollars now because Apple grows their devices steadily each year.
0: Yeah, my concern is that uh they start to just hemorrhage money for that. The thing is, I still don't think that's the end of the world for Google. Um, yes, they're, I mean, obviously, pressure and search and market share losses would hurt them, but for one, I, I don't necessarily see it happening. I think. Google already has a lot of this functionality. I think it also gets blown up in the finance universe. Like Bing's going after this. The typical consumer does not know. The typical consumer doesn't care. They don't follow Satya Nadella on Twitter. They don't right, which, yeah. They don't like check Microsoft's press releases every day. They yeah. just go in and they log into Google Chrome.
1: Yeah, so, was it, yeah. yeah. And back in the, and I don't think Microsoft Bing was around for the entirety of the early 2000s. But back within, you know, before Google kind of had their um, their own platform advantage with Android and to some extent Chrome, I guess you could argue with it. In that they won through execution and adding on these free services around everything. I think I would be concerned, yeah, if Bing got the. I mean, it'd be something to watch for for sure if Bing got the the license from Apple. But what would really concern me is if somehow, and this is just a total hypothetical. Apple's own services which they've been copying Google to some extent with maps, some of the other stuff, iCloud whatever. And they copy and they were somehow combined with Bing because I think what gives Google a bit of a moment, and again we don't need to talk about this forever on this show because we just discussed that on our not so deep dive from earlier this week. The it's not just the search, it's the search plus maps plus YouTube plus Gmail plus Google Workspace uh space plus pay, Google pay, plus whatever. So it's it's almost like they have the best of you know Microsoft with Android plus Chrome, plus the search engine. So they have kind of the operating system. Uh, then also they have the Apple stuff as well. So I'd be worried if somehow those were combined, but without Microsoft being, having a lot of those other services, except for of course, Office 365, but you have to pay for it. So the market share is much, much lower. There's billions of users on google workspace space plus gmail versus office 365 what we just looked at them what is it like 100 million subscribers something like that so yeah sizable base but still it's not going to affect kind of the way you operate the search market where you add on these products around it that are free um but either way it'll be interesting to follow i think i think yeah it's not it's not as I mean, it's not something to just stick your nose at and say like, oh, this is dumb because it's obviously not dumb. It's cool technology. But I see no reason why this doesn't become a commodity, sort of like voice voice tech, where you have enough resources, you have enough skilled AI developers. You can build this chat, bot. that's plenty good. And just because Google has the distribution, I think they're going to win once they launch this thing. Yeah, that... The demonstration had a slightly wrong answer, but Chat GPT, if anyone's aware, has wrong answers constantly. So I don't think that means that Google's worse at this.
0: No, we have a comment here. Uh says, a wonderful business with a strong moat does not need to invest excessively in other bets that burn capital. I feel Google just isn't a wonderful business,
1: even though price maybe is fair. Yeah, I disagree uh, with that because the, they're separate. They're separate. Other bets are not tied to the business at all. In fact, that's why they changed it to Alphabet. I mean, Waymo has no association with, uh, whatchamacallit. Yeah. You, you, yeah. you know, that the, the deep mind, I guess, connects with it a bit, but you also have like that biosciences startup that is in no way connected with Google. That's why they're under the Alphabet umbrella.
0: Yeah. Just to, to be clear, like I appreciate the comment and yes, they do burn money in there, but I would disagree that they have to burn money in um other bets, I think they choose to burn money. I think any business if you look at this I'm showing a chart here, free cash flow per share over the last twenty years has compounded at twenty percent a year to along with is, with other bets hemorrhaging money yeah an increasing amount of money being hemorrhaged um so I think now I disagree i I think Google search is an absolutely wonderful business. I think YouTube's a wonderful business um and i think their ecosystems now complement each other extremely well um, android is maybe not that wonderful in selling the hardware but it's a great addition to the ecosystem because it leads so many people to google so um i think the other bets don't get me wrong i other bets irks me I, I think google spends a ridiculous amount of money on stuff they don't need to
1: um like I, life, life sciences stuff <laughs> their <laughs> last a, layoff round, did.
0: their last layoff round laid off what twenty seven masseuses. So I think, yeah, there's probably some excess costs, and they hire more than they need. But no, I, I think the core business is probably one of the best digital businesses of all time.
1: Oh yeah, there's um, things there's things to be worried about with Google and slash Alphabet, however you want to call them. But on the top of my list, I don't think. And look, whatever. Uh, I could cold. This could be a cold take. Three years from now, on the top of my list is not chat GPT. Higher on my list is Apple, TikTok, Instagram, seating uh taking share, along with operating expenses, plain and simple. Yeah. So
0: I don't know. I mean, I don't know. This I, I know it seems so easy to just scoff at like, oh, whatever. Like if this isn't gonna hurt Google. But I think the voice technology taking over search
1: was probably sounded just as compelling. Oh, whenever. remember that? Yeah. I mean, both of us got caught. I, everyone got caught in that hype. Remember that? <laughs> like, you're going to get an Alexa and it's going to power your house and you're not going to search with a button anymore. You're going to do it through voice. Now, these tech, this tech might be better than the voice tech that Amazon had at Alexa, but I still think it's similar. W- last thing I have on this, when... Nadella slash Microsoft says that basically they, they said a ba- basically copied Bezos and said your margin is my opportunity. I th- wouldn't have that been their same mentality in 2009 when they launched Bing. I think it would have, and yet they still lost with at the time the operating system advantage. So look, maybe Alphabet slash Google was a better, more agile business back then. But I still think, look, they've been investing since in DeepMind for a decade. I, I think they'll be okay. Uh, let's see what well, we got a comment here.
0: Yeah, a couple comments around Google's excess costs. Yeah, uh, Sandeep also says, if Google has to replace around 20% of its existing search with open AI type of thing, doesn't that eat away at their own market share revenue while simultaneously increasing operating expenses? I would be very surprised. If 20% of their search moves to AI, it would
1: be Well, I say within the next couple of years, like on a longer time horizon, maybe, but yeah, sorry. Continue.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, maybe over time, over like 10 years. Yeah, that's possible. But I think they could also improve monetization on that over time as well to replace their existing monetization on traditional search. It is more expensive. Um, compute-wise, which is a potential headwind, but I think compute costs have gone
1: down over time, and I think they will continue to go down. Um, Plus, both of these companies have their cloud divisions, So in the long run, I think they, they benefit. And w- when you talk, you know, the comment here said it's going to increase their operating expenses, and that's a concern, right? I think, yes, that's true. Yes, in a vacuum, that's worse for margins. But... If they need to spend on this, if they need to have this AI engine going, the company with the most capital, the company with the cloud division that can make it the most efficient is going to have the widest moat. It will make it impossible for anyone but Microsoft to compete here or maybe another big tech company, at least in my opinion, if this stuff is as legit as people are saying. Yeah, it's also worth noting, I mean...
0: I know someone told us this recently, but when you think about Microsoft Edge, Microsoft Edge is Microsoft's browser. Competes with Chrome. It's powered by Chromium. They they got rid of their own infrastructure behind Microsoft Edge and chose Chromium, which is Chrome's open
1: source architecture. Uh, it instead. looks exactly. I mean, look, they basically copied that the layout. I checked it out yesterday. It looks exactly like it, which might be the way to go. It looks exactly like Chrome. It might be the way to go. Yeah, I, I agree.
0: Um, but I don't think you're going to get... I think the risk here is that you get maybe a higher share of uh, new Windows operating system users that choose Bing. But you don't get... I don't think you
1: steal share from existing Chrome users. Yeah, that's that's a fair point. Okay. Let's wrap things up on this and go to the next topic. But prediction, Microsoft market share in overall search is 3% today. In five years, is it above or below 6%? Five years? Yeah. Below, assuming Google still powers Safari. Okay, caveat, that's fair. I will go (laughs) below as well. Although I think given the desktop share uh share that Microsoft has been winning over the past decade. I think I would go with higher, but not at six percent. We'll see though. All right. Next topic, Ryan, a firm announces layoffs for 19% of its staff. What did uh they reported earnings? What, is, what were you looking at there? Yeah, they did report um a firm's one of the buy now pay later providers,
0: uh well known for being one of the primary providers for Peloton purchases. Um they had a tough quarter allowance for credit losses doubled year over year. So, you know, more, more people are not paying back their, I guess, micro loans, which is basically what this is. Um, and they they had a letter that announced layoffs. So it was, and whatever, like, I mean, you know, it's the right thing to do potentially. Um, however, I take issue with the letter because I, I, I open this press release and here's how it starts. Affirmers, this is the hardest email I have had to write to our company since founding it almost 11 years ago. I think that's like the worst way to start a letter. It, to me… Don't lead with a term of endearment if you're going to give them bad news. And if you're if your theoretical term of endearment is affirmers, like I don't know, that just pisses me off. It's like when what's his name did twillions. So yeah. I don't think you should do that. I think you just should just say, like, team or I don't know, dear employees. Um, it's not time to just like be as nice as you can and then give them terrible news. Second part. I hate it when CEOs do this. This is the hardest email I've had to write to our company since founding it almost 11 years ago. All your employees don't, they don't feel, they don't sympathize with you. They don't feel bad for you. Obviously, you know, you're extremely wealthy, you've, you've done well, you're the CEO. Don't make it about you. I feel like that's yeah. like someone should tell them that. And it seems like so many tech CEOs have done
1: this. Yeah. You got to flip it around and say, this is probably the hardest email you're going to receive. Yeah. It's not, yeah. Something like Here, that. I mean, but here's
0: what we're going to, here's what we're trying to do for you. Here's the next steps. Not, this is such a sad day for me.
1: Yeah. And. It's like reason, the Shrek thing
0: when Lord, what's his name? Was like, many of you will die, but it's a risk I'm willing to take.
1: Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. It's always like that. The. And, but there's a reason they're doing these layoffs. I mean, we look at this visualization here from Stratosphere. The report was yesterday, so they haven't updated the operating income yet. But trailing 12-month revenues were kind of flatlining on the buy-now-pay-later providers, and earnings are moving in the wrong direction. So I think that combination... And yeah, over the last 12 months, it looks like revenue is almost compounded 100% a year, but man
0: low quality what? revenue
1: it is the low uh... qual- yeah that is exactly right low quality revenue over the last year stock is down 83% and it is still trading well we got no earnings here but it's still trading at a sales ratio price to sales of 3.3 with gross margins of only let's say let's look at the table here about 60%
0: yeah. I mean, uh, well, yeah. Uh, those are not,
1: That's not, even, crazy.
0: not even that important of figures, but the, like, yeah, I mean, well, the, they, the they big issue no, here is
1: that they're just like hemorrhaging money. and. Yeah. They have no earnings. So you got to, you got to use something. And well, you can't use EV to TAM. The <laughs> thing that I find interesting is like these
0: companies, the companies that are losing a lot of money right now, are going through difficult periods with their stock yet stock-based compensation continues to jump. And at a firm specifically stock-based compensation has really started to jump. It surprises me that employees are like, and maybe they don't have a choice, but willing to accept more stock comp given what's happened to the stock. Yeah, I guess the is- option is like, all right, well, if you're not willing to take more stock-based compensation, you can join the, the other 19% that left.
1: Or they have to leave. Yeah, that's an interesting way to put it. Maybe, maybe that is the case. Um, I think maybe they force it on them. One thing that concerns me, and you know, we like to focus on free cash flow here, uh, as a lot of investors do, and we kind of really harp on finding companies that convert their earnings into free cash flow, but. One thing that can trip people up and I think trips us up sometimes is when a company is targeting free cash flow, say the management team is incentivized on free cash flow, they might be overly incentivized to use non-cash stock-based compensation and they could hit their free cash flow targets, but they may have doubled SBC or stock-based comp as a percentage of revenue and that can really not be value accretive. So yeah, I want to...
0: I think the other other important thing with okay, a yeah. firm's
1: yeah. earnings that I saw, um,
0: active merchants declined sequentially. So, less merchants on the platform this quarter. Uh, keep in mind, a firm sells to basically two sides. They they sell the merchants and they sell to customers because they want more customers adopting buy now, pay later uh, with them. And then they want more merchants offering it. Merchants declined. I believe a firm tried to institute price increases this quarter. Oh, really? Really? Um, D- didn't work out then. It, um, Yeah. I mean, active merchants only declined by like, I think it was, it, it wasn't that much. So given that they raised prices and they only saw that decline, that's not the big a deal, but it kind of gets to a problem, which is like, if you're a buy now, pay later provider, do you have like, I don't think you have pricing power.
1: Merchants will just adopt
0: Klarna or Afterpay or Buy-in for whatever Apple's is. I'm sure Amazon Prime has one now too.
1: Yeah, I think there's some key differences to the industry that make it just not the same as the card networks. And I remember a couple of years ago when there were some certain people out there Saying that these were going to kill the card networks within a few years, I think the progress on that might be stalled. Uh, Visa and Mastercard are both doing trillions in GPV right now, payment volume through their networks on an annual basis. So I think you know we'll pause that disruption for the time being. But yeah, what? Well, yeah, it seems it seems like the buy now pay later buy now pay later providers didn't get to a high enough scale quickly. It didn't turn into a duopoly like the card networks did and the product is has just the ability to be copied which is not great i did see a report that apple is finally going to release apple pay later and apple pay i don't have the numbers on that but just i think generally what they got to have probably a few hundred million users w- would that sound right ryan
0: it's the fastest uh, it's by far the fastest growing player in fintech yeah.
1: Yeah, and I think at least probably like 30, 40 percent of Apple users are using it, and it's probably going to grow. So they they launched that. I think it's it's not game over for some of these providers, buy now pay later providers. But I just think it's going to be a tough spot. Why, when you're in financials, I I don't understand going after this segment, which hasn't proven their unit economics, hasn't proven that the market share is stable, and is is there's plenty of people coming for them in competition. I mean, we're about to record today a fintech company with. One competitor, a uh, huge and growing market, and there's no, um, there's not three startups trying to compete with you every day. And then all the big tech companies launching a competing product to go after it. I just don't see the moat here. It's not, I con- guess, yeah. Consumer well, finance is tough. Like it's
0: not the stickiest thing in the world. Unless you're a bank, it's a very, easy i think to hop between if you're a consumer especially for buy now pay later providers i imagine a whole bunch of a firm's customers are also customers elsewhere and they will just take whichever uh micro loan provider or credit provider which are is, which is just what these bnpl providers are that's offered to them on the merchant site i mean sign ups quick
1: yeah i agree okay before we move on to the next topic I am going to ask you the hot take question for the breakout video in three years. No, let's extend it a little longer in five years. Is the buy now pay later industry larger or smaller? Smaller in terms of companies that are competitors.
0: There's, there's going to be less players in the space I'd imagine due to bankruptcies. I think there might be more consumers, but I think a lot of those consumers might just all be on Apple Pay, especially in the US.
1: I can get with that take. Yeah. Yeah, I think I agree. I think the market basically the, the shareholder value created or the enterprise value, however you want to define it, I think is going to be smaller than it is today because these are nice products, some people want them, but they may not be they they might not be the next card networks as people were. Predicting. All right. Next topic, Ryan, what what do we got here? Or right, you have anything else to add? Something else to add.
0: a fun question that I was thinking about yesterday. And I don't know why this kind of came to my mind. But with all the rate, with all the like the interest rate stuff that's gone over the last two going on, gone on over the last two years, there's a lot of I think about like how would I have changed my portfolio if I knew what was gonna happen? So I'm gonna invert it. If if you knew that rates were going to drop to zero tomorrow, I don't know why that would ever happen, but say the Fed Federal Reserve took rates to zero tomorrow. How would you change your portfolio?
1: I don't think I would. Really? It's too okay, you can play the game where you say, I wanna I know what everyone else is gonna do when they drop rates and they're gonna go for gross stocks again because that's the narrative and that's what I should do because then everyone will follow in. However, that's such a hard game to play, you don't know when that narrative is going to change. I think the best way to do it is to say, oh, what are you going to do with your portfolio about inflation? What are you going to do with your portfolio about interest rates? I say, make a portfolio inverted, like you just mentioned, and make your portfolio, I don't want to say immune, but focus on finding stocks that are what you think are inflation protected and what you think are rate protected. So it doesn't matter what rates are, it doesn't matter what inflation is, these businesses slash stocks can perform well for you. Do you agree or disagree? I think it might
0: just be better to get locked speculative crap.
1: But in, it, in the in the short term, yes. I think that would be if you knew rates were gonna to go to zero, you you we all know the mentality of the market right now. You'd probably make some money.
0: Yeah. I, I kind of thought that too. It was like all all my all the stocks I currently own would benefit, I'm sure. Or there's, well, I mean, maybe not long term, but they would. Seven, uh, yeah, they like would 70, shoot up the next day. I'm sure.
1: Yeah, like I think like seventy percent of our holdings. probably All would. equities would. Yeah, it's. Yeah, but we. That's kind of really. It's a true part of our uh, investing philosophy as we build it out. It, it evolves you know over time as everyone does. And I think one of the important things we're trying to hone in on is finding stuff that is inflation protected and also finding stuff where it doesn't matter if rates go from 0% to 5% to maybe even 10%. They have the balance sheet. They have the business model where where things will be okay, regardless of where the Fed has rates.
0: I will say though, I thought, I thought a lot more of my businesses were inflation protected than it turned out to be.
1: Oh, uh, well... At least, What's an example at least in the of short
0: term, it's hard to like, you know, I think you think like, oh, this provides a really valuable service. I'm sure like, even if inflation was prominent, people would still pay for it. They could raise prices, yada, yada, yada. It it has some effects on the margins. The only, I think, true inflation resilient businesses, at least that can like, that are like resilient in one to two years, within one to two years of inflation jumping, there's very few. Either you have to have inflation-linked contracts, like I think the airports in Mexico have. I
1: think uh, uh, card card networks uh, it, it, not directly, but through just volume.
0: You know, yeah, or, or yeah, or you got to be using Mastercard.
1: Yeah, and there's some other ones that are like that. We're actually the one we're about to study today. Market access, I think, would be inflation protected a bit. Yeah, we so like we tend to go for some subscription type businesses. I think a lot of our portfolio is it was in that subscription software either consumer or enterprise and I think if you have a high quality subscription business it can be inflation protected however they have to raise the subscription price so they might choose, it might put them in a tough spot if inflation's kind of hot for one year okay do we raise the price while the consumers being harmed when in contrast to that If you are Hershey, Pepsi, Coca-Cola, a CPG company, you can raise your prices to as a distributor uh, to the grocery store or whoever you're selling to by 10% and the consumer is not really going to bat an eye. But if you raise the price of your consumer subscription from $12 to $14, yeah, you probably can if you're providing a lot of value, but it's a little bit harder. All right, let's talk about your items, your news. Okay, yeah. So last time, last week, we talked about Peloton, right? And uh, I didn't prep any of the numbers, so I kind of read through a bunch of stuff. So I tried to prep what I wanted to look at. So for any listeners, we're kind of going through the key numbers and then the analysis. So apologies last time for um, being, just throwing out a lot of numbers. Don't want to do that because that's really hard to listen to on a podcast. Uh, But Nintendo reported earnings Last week. Let me share the screen because there's one slide that I think is important for anyone watching. And there's just a few key numbers here. First off, if we're looking at this slide, they have their guidance that they had previously and then their modified forecast for their new report. Um, And this is for kind of the three months of their fiscal year. So theirs ends in March. The big concern I saw, and I think is why the stock fell, and it kind of leads into an overall question. I want to talk to you kind of through the lens of Nintendo here. So, they guided their hardware, which is kind of their console hardware for the Switch, down to 18 million for the full fiscal year from 19 million before. And their software, which is sales of games and then also subscriptions uh, for their Nintendo Switch Online, from 210 million down to 205 million. So, a slight decrease. I think the bigger concern was probably the hardware, given that they talked about before uh, how. So the supply chain for semiconductors were hurting them, but then the supply chain uh, eased or the supply worries eased. They got a bunch of supply and the holiday demand was a bit lower than the previous two years. It was at the same levels as pre COVID, but still uh, a bit lower than they expected. And if I look at their games lineup, it looks fine that they're building the subscription business and everything looks great there. But I think you'd agree with me here ryan and let me stop sharing the screen um 2023 is not going to be their banner year from a profitability standpoint however so i kind of think like look 2023 might not be a great time to own the stock i think short term kind of you can see it if you follow the company closely the earnings might not be as strong as it is they might have hardware the hardware might be down this year just because they're not launching a new uh console at least we don't think right now um and as they get to the end of that life cycle they're going to sell less the the games lineup's not going to be as great however i think you know maybe in 2024 when they release the new switch or whatever they call it and they release the new mario kart game i think things look strong for the long term especially as they have the nintendo switch online providers they have the downloadable add-on content for their strong titles like splatoon and mario kart and then we finally get the movie and visual team, visual stuff going along with the theme parks. But it's kind of that contrasting thing. Like, how do you manage when you have short-term worries about a company, but long-term, you think the thesis is still intact? I'm curious. We can talk about it either specifically with Nintendo or kind of in a broader lens, whatever you want. Well, so so you're talking about fiscal year 23 as in like... Or sorry, calendar year 23. I mean, yeah. So what the... yeah just, you think the next twelve months or just the next quarter. I'm thinking the next twelve like calendar year twenty twenty three so the next twelve months. I know they have the confusing fiscal years, but uh I guess it depends They could have some really big games kind of in their lineup, but right now they just did their big release for the first half of this year, and they only have one big game um that new Zelda one, but curious your thoughts,
0: yeah, with Nintendo specifically, I'm not sure twenty twenty three is gonna be that bad of a year. Um, unfortunately, right now, I'd say they're still in the early stages of potentially building out like an an iterative console, like sim- maybe early days to like even Xbox is a bad analogy, but like they're still tied to hardware sales for the time being um, until their installed base is. Probably a little bit bigger, I would say the installed base is still buying games actively um, active users is still growing um, that's a positive for me, but given that they're still tied to the hardware cycle, you're basically waiting, I think, for a new switch to launch for any sort of revenue big revenue increase. However, I think they've made the right investments with the Mario movie. I think there it sounds like they're going to launch a new downloadable uh, version of Mario Kart, like new courses, right as they release the movie, which I really like. I think they're probably going to see a lot of, if the Mario movie is successful, it's going to really benefit the rest of the ecosystem. However, I think in general, when you're looking at a company where you can tell there's going to be some difficult periods in the next year or so, or just in the short term,
1: and what what we mean is we can envision the stock being down like thirty percent.
0: Yeah, I would have. I think if you would have asked me like two years ago, I would have said like, well, I don't, I don't care about the short term. I'm I'm worried about owning this for the next ten years. I think now it would adjust. It would impact my position sizing.
1: Yeah, maybe trim a little bit. You know, I mean, just at the margins. I don't. I don't wait, think.
0: Wait for confirmation that what you believe about the business is going to come true in the long term. Wait for like positive operational developments that you're looking for, not just the price to improve. Um I think you can I don't see that much difficulty or that much issue with downsizing a position if you think there's going to be some difficulty in the short term.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. It can be a little, you know, dangerous because one, you know it's not 100% predictable. And I think maybe invertient can be even more helpful where I get hesitant on kind of trimming a position too much unless the stock kind of totally blows out and goes up like 50% in a month and you see, you think it kind of got a little overvalued quickly, where you can say, okay, I'm worried about things in the short term. If that materializes and like Ryan said, the long-term thesis is still intact. okay, that could present a buying opportunity. I can be ready for that buying opportunity. When the volatility hits, I won't be nervous about it. I won't be psychologically scared because the stock's down 30%. And I will be able to add to my position at what could be a very, very attractive price. Again, this is no prediction on Nintendo stock specifically. Uh, We don't do that. And it's, who knows? The stock could be up uh, six months from now. But I think in general, it can be good to go through those scenarios because then one, you won't be surprised. And two, you can take advantage of them. Yeah, I agree. All right. Uber. Uber, yeah. This one will be more fun. Speaking of stock-based compensation, um, oh boy. yeah, so let's see. We had earnings um, for the quarter. Let me show a few charts. I'm going to load it up and then share it here. Uh, just some contrasting things. Uh, one second there. Earnings slides are very buggy. It's not really a great sign when an internet company has buggy slides, is it? Overall thoughts. On the quarter. Overall thoughts, I thought it was fine. It was fine. So here, here's some positives that I saw. Because Uber, we've looked at, and basically outside of the operating expenses, or the expenses, which we'll get to here, we've kind of liked the business, out, the mobility business. Um, and we, we see here, here's some highlights that they talked about in the quarter. Membership for their Uber One subscription, which I think would enhance their moat especially versus their competitors doubled in 2022 to 12 million. I think that's a great sign. Their active riders/you know, people that are using the platform were 131 million monthly actives, I think that's great and their advertising revenue now exceeds 500 million. However, and all right, you, the zooms the zoom shares. We know how this goes. It, it's very annoying. Okay. It just blocks, the Zoom share thing blocks out your your tabs. Uh, please fix that, Zoom. But if we look at the earnings here, Ryan, year-end 2022, loss from operations, $1.8 billion, And on, what was the revenue? On $31 billion in revenue. And then if we scroll down to the cash flow statement, free cash flow was positive for the year. We had 642 million in operating cash flow, and then capex is 250 million. So, you know, slight, slight operating cash flow positive. However, let's look at the stock-based compensation. I think this is a prime example of the concern we had earlier of a company is targeting free cash flow, and then they just pump up that SBC stock-based compensation went from one point, in 2021 to 1.8 billion last year um yeah what do you think thoughts ryan before i kind of move to some of these stratosphere charts and see what you think
0: well i think there there was also the one-time payment to the uk based on whatever that litigation was that kind of hurt cash flow if you exclude that I think cash flow looked okay. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, it was like five yeah. percent free cash flow margins on the revenue. But yeah,
1: just just for some numbers, it would have been one point one billion. I think, which I guess is getting close to break even on that SBC number, but still below that SBC. Yeah, I don't know. For Uber, Uber
0: is kind of an anomaly for me because or an enigma, I should say, because I think. I could see a world where they actually are truly profitable, but it's just still has the tech focus, like the tech mindset and the Silicon Valley mindset of rewarding your employees before you reward your shareholders. That's kind of why I like, and we're going to talk about this here in a second when we record the market access show, companies that are maybe headquartered in New York or, um, are tied in some Nebraska,
1: ways Nebraska, you know, Chicago, yeah, even. Too. Yeah,
0: Um, Are tied to like the financial system in some way. So a lot of the software companies that are like financial ancillary, so um, like interactive brokers or market Schwab. access or Schwab, or, you know, these are still tech businesses, but they're also finance oriented. Um, th- they tend to grow profitably.
1: Yeah, have a and better they, balance. And they think about better,
0: shareholders.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not like they're not thinking about employees, but they have a better balance where in Silicon Valley and Seattle, and maybe Miami too, some of the other areas, it just seems so imbalanced. I mean, here, here's here's what interests me like about Uber specifically, getting back on them. If we look at this chart here from Stratosphere, gross profit, and I believe they would calculate this by taking out the operations and support too, but whatever it is. Gross profit has grown from 1.6 billion to about 12 billion in a little under what would you call that a little over 5 years. Compound annual growth rate of 41% and part of that was when they had a dip during the pandemic. I mean the unit economics here even when we were doubting delivery they they're showing to be surprisingly strong at least to me. The question I think is and yeah, uh, let's look at the market cap. We're at 73 billion. We're probably, if you talk about all that SBC, we're probably, you should probably market in like a hundred billion dollar market cap over the next five years, if that's kind of your time horizon. Um,
0: Far Farv says minus negative 23 billion of retained earnings. Yes, exactly. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, they burned a lot of money. They also have long-term debt. So when we're talking about EV, it's actually higher. So I'd say EV, like if you're talking about their enterprise value, I'd honestly maybe to be conservative pricing like, okay, the business is a hundred billion dollars in enterprise value because of that SBC and because of that debt. Even so, if they fired half their employees, and and they have a ridiculous amount of employees. Yes, exactly. Because if they fired half their employees, pulled a little Twitter, not in the abrupt way where they do it in a single day with no plan. I think they did announce the, layoffs if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think they did as well, but it's not. It's not going to be fifty percent. It's not. It's not going to be enough. They uh, don't have a Google. They don't have an Alphabet-like business where they can be no,
0: this. no Uber layoffs on the cards.
1: Um, yeah. yeah, maybe I should have looked that up beforehand. But either way, we'll look at this gross profit, okay? And then let's add in operating income. I mean, just look at that dichotomy. We just got a huge negative here, and I honestly think, and I'm going to ask you this too. I honestly think the stock would be pretty darn attractive. If you got, if you had a way leaner cost structure, because I think they are turning into a bit of a monopoly here, not in food delivery, but in mobility. We talked about this on our not so deep dive with them. Wanted to do that within the last year. Yeah. The other thing I think about like
0: a lot is people probably think we're grumps for going like, like, like applauding companies that reduce their workforce. And to be clear, like it's not, like obviously like getting fired is like a horrible experience. Yeah, I wouldn't but want yeah. If they if they reduced their workforce today, I think it would bode well for expanding their workforce long term.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, because
0: like, growing profitably helps you hire in the future. Like I don't know, like oh yeah. It just and, seems and- diff- I don't I'm not I've never been a fan of and uh, I think Buffett said this at one point was like, we've never encouraged companies to have more employees than they need.
1: Yeah. Cause it's just, you know, one employees lose purpose 2 you're always at the risk of getting fired when you don't have the sustainable business. Yeah. A company like alphabet or one of the tech giants can do it because they're so damn profitable, but yeah, it's just not, doesn't make any sense. And from an investing perspective, look, we wouldn't share any layoffs as, as personally, but from an investing perspective, you're trying to analyze these businesses and how much cash they could generate for shareholders. So, yeah. And All it right. gives
0: new places for them to work where they can provide more value.
1: Yeah. Here, here's though, I, I guess I skipped over your maybe opinion on this. W- what are your thoughts on their development with Uber One, the advertising stuff? It seems like good progress. I don't know. what. It- yeah. I had a hard time um, kind of understanding their advertising
0: strategy. Like some of the ads looked a little some of the advertisement areas that they were going after seemed weird to me. Like I, it didn't seem that useful. Yeah. Um, but I think with like, especially in Uber delivery uh, or Uber eats, there's definitely room for advertising more ad dollars as re- uh, restaurants are probably willing to pay for that premium spot on the plat uh, on, on the app. So I would say advertising as long as, uh, delivery continues to grow. I Advertising is kind of like Amazon search ads um, in a way. It, yeah, can, yeah. it can be very margin accretive.
1: Yeah, I agree. And it could separate, I think, and one here, DoorDash is just such a tough competitor because they seem to want to lose even more money than Uber. But I think you can separate yourself from from the pack. All right. That's the big four topics are done. If anyone watching has any questions, throw them in. But Ryan, it looks like you have some extras here. If you want to, we got 10 minutes left. Well, speaking of uh,
0: DoorDash, Roku and DoorDash launched a partnership this week to deliver delight to Roku users with free dash pass and access to on-demand delivery from their TVs. This was a long time coming. Uh, what are you? Wh- I'm surprised wh- this didn't come earlier.
1: It's for ordering it's,
0: Doordash from your Roku. Like
1: it's, it's straight. Well, yeah, it's strictly for Roku and DoorDash bag holders. That's strictly, hey. that's what they're, that's what they're marketing to. No, hey, we're, we were Roku bag holders at one point, but I think is, I
0: don't think people like, I don't know. The, I don't know if this will really be utilized that much just because like
1: Roku's in, smart, gen- yeah.
0: Roku's in general are like a little more clunky, I think than ordering via your smartphone.
1: That's what I was going to say. Everyone has a smartphone, so I don't really get this, but Hey,
0: but, I mean, theoretically, I think the uh, the audiences probably overlap,
1: but... Yeah, yeah. And you could send it to the smartphone, maybe a direct little link to the smartphone, but I don't know how this is going to work. Roku seems to have this wild idea. Uh,
0: okay. So, complimentary DashPass. New and existing Roku accounts with a linked streaming or smart home device can get six months of complimentary DashPass. DashPass is DoorDash's membership program um, that offers members $0 delivery fees on eligible orders. Shoppable ad offers as well. So for the first year of the partnership, DoorDash will be the exclusive marketplace ad solution partner for Doordash US restaurants and grocers that buy interactive shoppable ads on Roku. I don't see this being utilized that much. Yeah.
1: Me neither. It's cool, <laughs> it, I guess, but it's it's <laughs> this is a this is a nothing burger. Let's see. What do you all think of the boring? SDKL uh, oat milk. Uh, yeah, Favre you're gonna to have to redo that question. I don't. I don't, I don't know answer. what that is. So yeah,
0: I heard someone you know like uh, talking about how much they like Oatly this week. I said, well, you know, really well, good. I said, good. like like them while you can. But well, you know, I love my, when I make like jokes about like companies that I think are like imminently gonna go bankrupt, and people like what who cares like non-finance people are like this all right whatever <laughs>
1: yeah they're like i still like i still like the product it's like what a yeah 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 but Oatly has my favorite dad joke which is no motley
0: sun opta i'm not familiar with it Sarv.
1: yeah um oat milk yeah I don't, I don't i don't like that there's been no brand if i, I like really oat know. milk yeah oat milk's fine I think it's a big time commodity though.
0: Another interesting thing, uh Acquisition or Activision. I was mean, the acquisition of Activision by Microsoft seems to be getting a lot of pushback. Uh FTC filed a lawsuit, which I think a lot of people already knew about, but it sounds like European regulators are probably gonna do the same. Um
1: United Kingdom, right? I saw that they're big kind of Yeah. Something it's so or, confusing with that stuff, but
0: Or it sounds like they're going to have, like, contingencies. So, um, basically, like, Microsoft is going to have to say that they will never take a Call of Duty game in-house kind of thing if they want to close this acquisition. Like, they're going to have to give up some – there's going to have to be some remedies. Apparently, this is fairly common. Yeah. It's a way to allow acquisitions without uh, being too anti-competitive.
1: It's funny how the regulators do not understand the gaming market because they seem to think this is going to turn into a monopoly when Xbox really is struggling. They're the fourth player within the platforms by far. You got PlayStation crushes them continuously. Steam on PC, Nintendo. Is Steam larger then, than Xbox? Oh, yeah. Really? Steam, Steam might be, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, the, it's a great platform um but it's all PC though. Yep, it's like the PC gaming say app store. It's that same sort of model. Makes sense. Go without, without the hardware.
0: The uh yeah, people I, I I always forget how big the PC gaming market is. Like that is yeah. the true avid gamers, honestly.
1: Yep, just as big as consoles. They're about the same size. I think the Microsoft Yep, we got a comment here. I have Steam. I use Steam as well for the one of two games I ever play. Um,
0: yeah, it's, I think it's so forgotten I, about.
1: I think, I, I gotta be honest, I think Activision Blizzard is a little interesting here. They got a huge cash pile. Call of Duty's <laughs> cooking. Um, yeah, it's not that cheap. And then they get a huge, they get a huge uh, breakup fee if the deal doesn't go through. Blizzard seems to be on a good front. King seems hey, what are doing they gonna well. do with it? What are they going to do with it? Just sit on the cash the same way they always have? Uh, well, they were sitting on the cash before because they wanted to acquire Zynga. That's out the door now, I think. And they were waiting to get acquired, so I think we'll see. But yeah, I mean, they do have that. You know, They, they were very conservative with their cash balance. It does look like a decent risk-reward situation because the spread is so wide on the deal. If it doesn't go through the floor, it doesn't seem that low just because how well the business is doing right now. I know both of us have long-term concerns about a little bit uh, of their culture. Just Yeah, the culture plus the fact that you're relying a lot on a single title, which is just tougher when Call of Duty isn't guaranteed to succeed each year, although it's succeeded mildly this year.
0: Yeah, in my opinion, it's also not the business you want to buy when... Call of Duty is putting up phenomenal numbers. It's the one you want to buy when they haven't released one in a while. Engagement's kind of low, and then it's going to all of a sudden you're going to get the next Call of Duty. I know that's hard to predict, but look what look what we did last time. We kind of bought it at peak COD, yeah, bookings,
1: and it kind of Uh, bit us in the ass. The yeah, we did went on the Warzone and mobile hype. Although this spring though, if the deal wasn't there the stock would have collapsed and it would have been a very, very uh, goodbye.
0: I also worry what this business looks like operationally. I've never never owned something through a termination of an acquisition. Like what, does anything happen operationally? Do people, were there employees that were planning to work that were kind of hanging on because they thought, well, we'll be under Microsoft and Bobby Kotick will be gone? Yeah, that's fair. like, don't want to be there anymore. Um
1: I don't know. I also... The spread's wide, I, though. That arbitrage spread is wide, though. Very wide. Yeah. It it's is. interesting, for sure. There's a lot of... I mean, with any acquisition, I think there's a lot of uncertainty, but we will see. I have my reservations about Activision
0: management-wise, if it operates independently. But yes, I think... I w- I wouldn't say necessarily the floor is that high. Really, it could. Right if they if, they if you if I knew that they were going to buy back with the cash they have plus the break fee, then yeah, the floor is pretty high. But they they haven't done that in the past, so I would be. Uh, I w- I wouldn't feel too confident in that thesis.
1: Yeah, well, they haven't in um, they haven't in a long time. They bought back, yeah, in like 2014, but they haven't really since then. It's interesting. Yeah, they I yeah, I don't know. They'll have like twelve billion or thirteen billion in cash, ten billion net cash, something like that. I think and their earnings multiple, yes, it's could be a little elevated because of the success of COD now, but that doesn't really roll through. You know, it takes time for a successful COD to roll through. It hasn't it's only been a couple of weeks, really, uh, at least from what we've seen earnings. Um, they're trading at a very they're trading below their competitors, or at least kind of the average gaming one. They're almost down to, depending on how much they grow this year, they could get down to 12 times earnings, 13 times earnings. Feels like a floor to me if you believe that there's a little bit more durability. If you believe King can continue to grow, if you believe Blizzard can get back on the right footing. Although we're gonna have to pause this discussion. I'm sure we want to talk about Activision again. It is 10:30 pacific time so thank you all for listening remember we're we not right uh, so, yeah
0: far i've had a comment there at the end i'll try to get on tonight seven right i, I we only do these uh at on thursdays at 9 30 a.m on the pacific coast now we used to do them at four o'clock pacific time which was seven eastern time we've moved them up we're kind of experimenting to see what Kind of resonates with listeners the most, but no, we will not be back on.
1: Yeah, seems like people like this time better, uh, just given how many people are tuning in. So we'll probably stick with this one. But yes, 9:30 for the now the time being. Remember, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. We are general partners at Arch Capital and clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Check all the disclosures there. Thank you again for tuning in, and we'll see you next week.